Welcome back to Potting the Red Sox, bloggingtheredsox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell. And today, I'm happy to be joined by Ian Brown, MLB.com's Red Sox beat reporter. Ian, thank you for joining me today. Uh, how's the weather in Fort Myers? Uh, 85 and sunny every day so far. <laughs> I know it's not going to sit well with a lot of people back up in uh, New England, but uh, somebody's got to be down here. So, yeah. And uh, how long have you been in Fort Myers for? Uh, I've been here for about five days now. I'm here in three weeks total. So usually we come down for, you know, pretty much the full spring training. But this year with the the COVID protocols and not as much uh, interview access as we usually get, at least in-person interview access, uh, we cut the trip to, to three weeks. But uh, grateful to be down here for three weeks is for a while. not be coming down at all. And just being in Fort Myers, like the city in general, how do the COVID-19 protocols there compare to the protocols in place in Boston? Um, at the ballpark, they're great. You know, the Red Sox really do a great job of this stuff. You know, there's, uh, you know, I'm in the press box with just a couple other people and we're very spread out. You're required to, to keep a mask on all day at JetBlue Park, whether you're inside or outside. Um, so they're, they're doing great there. It's very similar to when I was at Fenway last year where, you know, the, the team just does a great job of this stuff. Um, as far as Florida itself, boy, it's a little different than I'm used to up in Boston where, you know, things are a lot more closed down right now. Here it's like nothing's happened. You know, you look at every restaurant is packed with people sitting indoors. Um, you know, you go to grocery stores and some people aren't wearing masks. So it's a whole different world. So you definitely have to be careful down here. So I'm trying to stay in my own little bubble and not try to uh, be any, exposed to any of these people down here. Compared to past spring training trainings, um, are media members still allowed to like wander the backfields? And if so, does that feel different this year? Yeah, you know, it's a little better than I thought. You know, originally I thought that we might just be going down there. It might be um, confined to the press box only, um, which isn't very helpful when the workouts are going on because the workouts are out on the backfields. You wouldn't be able to see that from the press box. But um, the team has opened up all the practice fields. So you're, what you're able to do is you're able to walk around the entire complex. You just can't. The one difference between this year and other years is you can't step onto the field. So you have to stay you know, behind the fence. So you're kind of watching from the chain link fence. Um, so it's different in that sense. It's a little more challenging to get good video because you're shooting through uh, through fences. But, um, you know, I've been pleased with the access down here, you know, all things considered. On that note, are you allowed, like, in the same vicinity as any player or team official, like when they're giving interviews, like when Alex Cora is talking to the media? Yeah, no, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because, you know, we're about uh, probably 300, uh, 200, 300 yards from Alex Cora when he's actually doing his interview with us, but we're on zoom um, from the press box and there's many reporters who aren't down here. So they're back in Boston talking to him. So we're still not to the place where we're doing um, face to face down there. The team is allowing you to request um, socially distance one-on-one interviews. So for example, um, I could be like in the left field stands, um, you know, about 12 feet away from a player and interviewing, but you just have to kind of go through the PR staff. It's not like the old days where you can just go in the clubhouse and you see a player sitting in his locker and you talk to him. So, you know, we look forward to hopefully being back to that. Um, if not by the second half of the season, then definitely by next spring training. Because right now there's kind of a lot of red tape when it comes to uh, doing interviews. And just how have the Zoom conferences been in general? Because I've been watching them so far this spring and last year, and it seems like there's a lot of uh, talking over one another amongst you guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. You know, we're all kind of used to it by now. Um, some some teams use like the raise your hand function, so there's less of that kind of talking over each other for whatever reason. The Red Sox, um, we just have you know first person who answers the question first come first serve type of thing. But I think we're all used to all the nuances of it. That when somebody interrupts someone, it was like um, kind of jarring back in the spring when we were first doing this. But now it's just like. Um, Kind of like it happens in a regular press conference too. Somebody might be asking a question. Somebody else might be um, talking at the same time. And you kind of have to you know, flip a coin to see uh, who goes first. So it's really not that different. I think it's, it's been good. And we've pretty much gotten what we needed out of these calls. The players, as they usually are, the players have been in a good mood in spring training. So I think that uh, most of the guys we've talked to over the last few days, um, they've, been, they've been accommodating and they've answered the questions honestly. And it's been uh, enjoyable so far. Um, you mentioned working in the press box. Do you guys have any outdoor workspace available? Because I've seen like in Tampa where the Yankees are, their beat members have like a tent to work at. It looks like. Yeah, no, the press box is pretty, is, um, you know, where we're working. It's pretty open air. All the windows are open. Uh, the door in the back to the press box is also open and that goes right to outdoors. So it's perfectly safe in there. And to tell you the truth, you know, we're used to 10, 15, 20 people being in that press box. Right now, it's myself, uh, Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe, um, Johnny Miller, the legendary um, radio reporter for WBZ. Um, he's there. And, um, you know, Jim Davis, the photographer from the Globe. It's pretty much been three or four of us. So you're able to be very um, distant from each other. So, you know, see, it feels kind of like Red Sox home games last season at Fenway. It feels perfectly safe. And you mentioned not being able to get close to anyone. Are there any players, coaches, or executives on the team you usually would have talked to or reached out to by now, but haven't gotten the chance to because of the restrictions? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I bumped into Bloom a couple times, so that was nice to see him off camera um, for the first time in, uh, you know, close to a year and just sort of have nice kind of breezy conversations with him. They don't really want us doing kind of interviews in that setting, but, you know, Pete and I saw um, J.D. Martinez, um, so we sort of talked you know, shot the breeze with him when he was kind of behind a barricade uh, the other day and, you know, said hi to Xander Bogart. So we're starting to, you, you are bumping into people on those backfields. You see, kind of see the people that you usually speak to, but if you're going to actually do like a formal interview with them, it's going to, you, you know, you're either going to email them for a quote or you're going to call them or, you know, maybe the team will help set up a Zoom. So it's a little different, uh, you know, in that regard. And will games this spring go the same way, um, they went last year where like the managers available to you guys via zoom before the game and then after the games like the media and a player yeah it's all going to be simulated um and what the difference with spring training is um you know in the past we've always like the starting pitcher comes out of the game um unlike the regular season we'll talk to that pitcher probably um 15 20 minutes after he's out of the game where in the old days we'd walk from the press box to the clubhouse and we'd be sort of missing part of the game to go talk to them. Um, well, now we'll still be doing that, but we'll be doing it on Zoom. So in a way, it's kind of nice because we wanted to miss, uh, you can sort of watch the game and talk to the players at the same time. So I never really liked that whole running back and forth all game and sort of missing parts of the game. It's hard to sort of uh, recover what you've missed there. So that's going to be the big difference this year and just not having um, – you know, before you would go into the clubhouse and you'd see that pitcher and then you'd see maybe three or four position players who just came out of the game. So if you wanted to go strike up a conversation with one of them, you could. Well, we don't have that sort of access, that sort of free-flowing access in conversation right now. So we're just going to kind of uh, – we're just going to have to make do and, and do it like this for now. 
And what are your expectations for the way Grapefruit League games will go this spring with the inning flexibilities and player flexibilities and all that? Right. I think it's the first um, the first two weeks, I want to say, where teams have the flexibility to play uh, either seven, nine, or five innings. I'm talking to Alex Cora, um, he's all in on the seven-inning plan. I think that's the perfect happy medium. So I think that you'll see the Red Sox playing uh, mainly seven-inning games until I think it's March 13th. And then after that, um, the games can be not are scheduled to be nine innings, but I believe that the managers, the managers from both teams can agree to make it shorter uh, if they want. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes after March 13th. If both teams are going to want to stick to seven or uh, we get deeper into camp, they're going to want to start playing nine innings. But I don't think anybody's complaining about the um, seven inning rule. So again, you're talking about uh, the length of spring training games. Yeah, you know they're going to be um, they're going to be seven innings to start. Uh, I think that Alex Cora has already said he's a big fan of that. And as of March thirteenth, the teams will have the option. They're scheduled to be nine innings as of March thirteenth, but the teams will have the option of deciding to play um, seven innings if they want. So I think that uh, you know we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But I know that in the past, having covered a lot of spring training. Um, the eighth and ninth inning game, of, the eighth and ninth inning of spring training games can be very painful. Um, you see a lot of extras in the game, especially pitchers who are nervous. These are guys who are not even going to pitch a double A or triple A this season. Um, so if we can eliminate those innings, I think it'll be a much uh, more watchable product. So I think that nobody's going to complain about these seven inning games we're going to have. And you talked about being down in Fort Myers for about three weeks. Um, do you have any plans to travel with the team this regular season? Yeah, those plans are still in progress um, from not, right now, how it looks and the fact that um, pretty much all of our interview access is going to be on uh, Zoom for at least the start of the season, depending how things go with the coronavirus. I, I would expect that I'll mainly be um, not traveling the first half of the season. I think that we're hoping to resume traveling again uh, after the all-star break, things uh, clear up and everybody gets vaccinated and Hopefully we can start getting in some clubhouses or at least sitting in press conference rooms with players instead of doing everything over Zoom. At least that's the hope. So, you know, like everything with COVID, it's going to be a wait and see to see uh, how things evolve. And do you think a non-regionalized schedule will work this year? Like last year, they just stayed on the East Coast primarily? Yeah, I mean, you saw the NFL. They didn't They didn't play a regionalized schedule. Um, the NBA, they're not playing a regionalized schedule. Um, you know, there's going to be little hiccups here with, with COVID. Um, hopefully not as many with baseball because they already had, they went through all this last year. So they already know um, everything that they have to do. They really um, cracked down on the protocol. So hopefully we'll be able to get through the season without interruption. And the fact that baseball is played outdoors, at least um, there won't be a lot of, you know, transmitting of the virus during games. How do you think Fenway Park will be if it's only limited to like 4,500 fans to start off the season? Uh, I think it's going to be great. Uh, much better than last year, which is just really weird not having any fans there at all. Um, so I think it'll be good for the players to have a little energy uh, in the park. You know, fake crowd noise was great and everything, but the real thing will be good. So if it's only 4,000 fans, you know, some people say that'll be like the um, the mid-60s Red Sox before the triple crown season, before the Yastrzemski Impossible Dream triple crown season when they started to get big crowds after that. So now people will know what it's like to sit in Fenway uh, back when Ted Williams played. You mentioned bumping into players randomly at the complex, but on Tuesday night you tweeted that you ran into Jackie Bradley Jr. outside a restaurant in Fort Myers. So I'm just curious, uh, how is Jackie in general? 
Jackie was great. He was uh, in a great mood. He had a big smile on his face. He was outside of a restaurant with his wife and uh, his two kids and his, uh, his, his older daughter. She's five years old. She was running around and uh, his younger baby was just born uh, a few months ago. So she was in the, the, uh, the car seat. Or I think it's the son was in the, was in the car seat um, or the stroller. And he, he wasn't stressed. I, I think he feels like um, he's close to something here. You know, I don't think it's going to be the Red Sox. I know that rumor still pops up that, oh, he can wind up back with the Red Sox. I just don't see it happening because of the way it would affect the um, the luxury tax. And I don't think they're going to go over the luxury tax to keep uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. in Boston. But I think that he will sign uh, here in the next, the next, hopefully within the next week or so. Is that what you alluded to when you tweeted he seemed confident his situation will be resolved yeah. soon enough? He was a complete peace of mind about him. This wasn't the guy who was worried about getting a job and you know jd martinez even said in his zoom call the other day that, it, that he was under the impression that jackie had a couple offers and was just maybe waiting for one team to sort of push forward and put it to the finish line um so yeah it sounds like you know he's too good of a i mean he might be the best defensive center fielder in baseball who also has you know 20 home run power so as streaky as he is offensively he's too good of a player to be sitting at home right now but i think it's just uh you know the market seems to be bad for one or two players every year and he's just that unlucky guy this year but i do think that he'll find a home you know pretty soon here do you think it has anything to do with scott boris being his agent because it wasn't too long ago where like jd himself was still on the open market in february yeah i mean the one thing about scott is he doesn't sell his clients short and that that sometimes makes makes it take longer for his clients to sign but there aren't many occasions where you look at a scott boris client and say oh wow that player didn't get what he deserved he was kind of underpaid in the end scott usually gets what he wants he's very good he's um probably the Mike Trout of Asians. So I think that, you know, J- Jackie Bradley, like J.D. Martinez, uh, I guess that was three years ago now, got a pretty good deal um, that he that he deserved. I think Jackie will get something similar here in the, in the coming days. And if it's not Jackie, which as you allude to, probably won't be, how do you think Alex Verdugo will handle being the Red Sox's everyday center fielder to start off the season? Yeah, we talked to him about that today. He's fine. He said he's played a lot of center field on the minor leagues, kind of coming through. Uh, you know, most outfielders will tell you that center field is the most comfortable position because that's how you see the ball the best coming off the bat. So, look, Verdugo has all the agility. Um, he has that cannon arm that's probably better suited for right field because it's such a good arm. But uh, he has everything you need out there in center. Is he going to be Jackie Bradley Jr.? I don't think anybody. Um, but will he be a pretty good above-average center fielder if the Red Sox need him to play there? I think so. Look, you're going to see a lot of uh, – I think you're going to see a lot of Kike Hernandez at center field also. Or Alex Cora indicated that, look, Kike will usually finish games at second base or in the infield because he's an elite uh, defensive infielder, but there could be games where you see him starting in center also. And again, under the perception that Jackie's not the Red Sox center fielder, do you think there'll be a noticeable difference in balls hit in that direction that would usually be outs that won't be now? I think there'll be some. I don't know how many. I mean, that's going to depend on how well Verdugo plays out there. But Jackie was just a special, special player, especially when it came to that spectacular play out there. Um, so big shoes to fill, but look, um, Verdugo, look at how Verdugo did filling in for Mookie Betts last year. I mean, the, he, of all the problems the Red Sox had last year, nobody was talking about Alex Verdugo's uh, defense at right field. He played very well out there. So you hope it's a similar dynamic now with Verdugo, Verdugo replaces Bradley. And then it's the case of, you know, can Hunter Renfro be the right fielder that you need? Uh, Cause we all know right field's very tough in Fenway. So yeah, a lot of moving parts in the Red Sox outfield. You know, it was just, uh, you know, two springs ago. That's crazy. It was two years ago. We were down here and it was 
you know, Benintendi and left, Bradley and center, Mookie and right. You thought these guys would be together for the next however many years, and now um, all three of them are gone. How long do you think it'll be until Jaron Duran gets called up if he does this year? Yeah, that's a big, big question. Um, they don't want to skip any steps in his development, so he'll, I think he'll at least start the year. I keep wanting to say Pawtucket, but uh, in Worcester, Triple A Worcester, I think he'll probably start there and see how he does the first couple of months. I think that you look at maybe a Jacoby Ellsbury timeline from 2007, where um, Jacoby is called up to the Red Sox, I think, at the uh, in late July, and played a big role for that team down the stretch. So I think that they're hoping a, maybe a similar timetable uh, for Jaron Duran this year. Uh, do you like the Jacoby Ellsbury comp to Duran, or do you like Cora's with um, Grady Size more? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I saw Ellsbury play a lot. I watched his whole career with the Red Sox, and I saw him coming up. Um, I think that um, Duran at this point is a little bigger and stronger than Ellsbury was at this same point. I think Ellsbury kind of grew in, into some strength as he got uh, as he got older. So I think that initially you might see Duran hit for a little more power than than Ellsbury, but the speed stuff is very similar. I don't think Duran is quite as gifted in center as Jacoby was because he's not a natural outfielder. He was a kid who played infield a lot until the Red Sox moved into the outfield, I think, uh, a year or two ago. So I think as he continues to play the outfield, you're going to see him get kind of like Mookie did. You'll see him get a lot better in the outfield. But yeah, I think the Ellsbury comparison is a pretty good uh, good comparison. And you mentioned Triple A Worcester. Uh, Tanner Houck is a rotation candidate to start the year. I mean, start the year at spring training right now. But given the fact that like some of his competition, like Nick Pavetta, are out of minor league options, do you think that means Houck will start the year at Triple A regardless of how he performs this spring? Yeah, I feel like look, I feel like it's likely that he's going to start at AAA because um like Duran, um he didn't play he hasn't played AAA yet. And Hein Bloom in his big Zoom call the other day said he traditionally doesn't like guys to skip steps in the minor leagues, meaning take them straight up from double A to the majors. And even though they had the alternate site last year, it wasn't quite the same. So I would look for how to maybe round out his development. Uh, maybe spend the first few weeks at AAA. And, you know, inevitably somebody's going to get injured and you're going to need somebody to come up. And that will hopefully be uh, Tanner Houck and hopefully he can pick up you know, right where he did last year. And just talking about roster moves in general, Kevin Ploiecki and Franchi Cordero will need to be activated from the COVID-related injury list pretty soon here. So do you envision the Red Sox making a trade to clear up spots for them? Or um, uh, are there any players at risk of losing their spot? Yeah, you know, I think some of the, there's some, still some fringe guys. Uh, I don't know the, the roster in front of me right now, but there's still some fringe guys. You saw them um, to make room for uh, Marvin Gonzalez. They get rid of Marcus Walden, um, or they designated him for assignment yesterday. I think there's still some. There's still guys on this roster who don't need to be on the 40 man roster. Um, so I think that uh, you know that they won't have a problem with that. Are there any players you are looking forward to seeing in organized game action this spring? Sure, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, Tristan Cassis. He's their, probably their top uh, – some people rank him their top prospect. Some people rank him their number two prospect behind Jeter Downs. So looking forward to seeing him hit against uh, big league pitching for the first time. Looking forward to seeing Nick York, who was a rare guy who was drafted just last year out of high school, and he's already here um, in Major League Camp. So these are the guys I like to watch in spring training. The veterans, you can't really read too much to – what they're doing in spring training. I think Dahlbeck, though, is a guy that you need to sort of watch closely this spring and see how he, you know, that experience he had last year hitting eight homers. And I think it was uh, 80 at bats 
um, you know, how, or maybe it was ten homers. I can't remember. But see, seeing how he'll uh, seeing how he'll play here in his first spring training, where he's projected as the starting first baseman, it was different. Where he was just kind of a you know a fringe guy here the last uh, two springs, but now he's he's the guy at first base. So we're going to want to see. He's the guy that we're going to be watching just about every day to see how he swings the bat. And would you say that right now, like if the season were to start today, is, does Michael Chavis have a job on the active roster? Or will he have to be playing for that this spring? Look, that's a full-fledged battle, I think, between him and Christian Arroyo. I think the two of those guys are going to uh, battle it out for that last spot. Look, I think, um, I'm not mistaken, Chavis still has minor league options. Arroyo does not. So to increase organize, organizational flexibility and organizational depth, you, know, you could see Arroyo beat Chavis out for that spot where um, you know, hopefully maybe Chavis can go back to the minors and sort of refine that swing he had when he first got up here because he's looked kind of lost um, for the, you know, the second half of 2019 and for most of last season. So I think that right now you could say that Arroyo is, you know, a slight favorite to win that spot. And you think there's any chance we see Jonathan Arroyo in Boston this year or will he get the full year to develop in AAA? Yeah, I don't think he fits in right now on the major league roster. I think you'll see um, Aruz is kind of that Zouay Lin uh, depth piece that they had the last few years. So I think you'll probably see him, him start in AAA. And like you said, get that development that he kind of missed last year. And what did you make of his performance um, last year at the major league level? Because it was kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he didn't blow anyone away, but I thought his defense was pretty good. Yeah, I think for a guy who hadn't really played much again above uh, single A, he did pretty well kind of thrust into that spot. So he's just uh, – his defense is very – like you said, is very good. He can run the bases a little bit. I think he's just got to refine his hitting a little bit um, and show that he can hit enough to, to stay in the major leagues. But, yeah, he's a guy who's still got some development left. And on the note of Rule 5, guys, you say going into the season, Garrett Whitlock might have a little more security than Arrowies did last year? Well, you know, I, I would say yes um, in a vacuum. The difference is that they were – you remember to start last season, they were going with a much expanded roster there, 28 players with the COVID stuff. Um, so there was a lot of rest roster flexibility. Obviously, the Red Sox also didn't have a very good team last year, so it was kind of easy to carry. Um, Aruz, I think with Whitlock, he's in a, uh, the roster is much more competitive this year. There's more uh, pitching talent, but I still look at him as the guy who's probably going to make the team right now, um, you know, just with the Rule 5 status and that Alex Carr has been really high on what he's seen from him so far. And you think him and maybe Matt Andrees can replicate what Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez did in 2018, like Cora's been talking about? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, Cora talked ad nauseum in 2018 about how Johnson and Velasquez were the co-MVPs of the team. I thought that was a little uh, hyperbolic since Mookie Betts actually won the MVP that year. But you know what you're saying, just like how, how valuable it is to have those guys who can step in when a pitcher gets hurt. And, uh, you know, you really saw it with both those guys. Uh, for whatever reason, neither one of them could sustain that level last year. And, you know, they're both not even in the organization um, anymore. But, yeah, I mean, Andres, um, he, he's a pretty solid guy, a pretty good solid pitcher. So, yeah, he and Whitlock, if they can, uh, if they can get that job done, that the Red Sox are going to be better off for it. Do you have a prediction for a win total for the Red Sox this year, assuming they play a full 162? Yeah, I'm going to go – I'm going to – Slightly optimi more optimistic than others with this team. I'm going to go, I think, a realistic projection for them right now, if uh, things go well enough, is like 86, 87 wins. 
So I think that uh, they're going to be better than a lot of people think. I think a lot of people are predicting them that uh, 80 to 82 win mark. I think Alex Cora is going to make a big difference being back as manager. And I think this team is going to sneak up on people because um, Bloom hasn't made spectacular moves over the offseason, but he's greatly um, deepened the team, both on a position player side and on the pitching side. So I think that, uh, you know, the Red Sox could be one of those little engines that could, which is funny to say with a $210 million um, payroll roughly, you know, that they could have, but yeah, I think they're, they're going to be a competitive team, hopefully in the hunt uh, for a wild card spot uh, most of the season. I agree with your optimistic take, but don't you think a lot of that relies on like how guys like Erod and Eovaldi, Garrett Richards, Nick Bavetta, like how they hold up and perform throughout the season. Cause like that's a big uncertain right now for all four of them. Yeah, no, I mean, you could say that about any, um, you know, any team is always going to depend on how they're pitching. I feel like there's less question marks though this year, in a way, because I feel like, and you know, last year there was just huge question marks for Chris Hill, even coming into camp. You know, a lot of people were skeptical that he was going to be healthy, and sure enough, he ended up having Tommy John, and then when Erod went down, also. But look, Erod's a full go. I don't think there's he's not on some sort of um, build back up stage. He's 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 been throwing his batting practices. He looks good, so I think that I fully expect him to pitch opening day, and wouldn't be surprised at all if he kind of you know picks right back up into form. And you have um, Evaldi, if he can pitch like he did last year, and he looks healthy. I didn't have any injuries. Just had a thigh injury last year, a calf injury. but didn't have anything wrong with his arm. Um, Richards is a big X factor. because This is a guy who's had injuries in his career. Uh, Pavetta, like you said, was inconsistent with the Phillies. The Red Sox are optimistic with him, but you're right. Until he does it, um, you know, you, you're not going to know for sure. Uh, Martin Perez, I think that's a guy you feel pretty good uh, this guy, I mean, he was he, they, he was the number two starter last year. And that was a joke that he had to be put in that role. Now he's in the number five starter where I think that he realist, realistically is a number five starter. So if he can just give you 150, 160 uh, innings, uh, double-digit wins, ERA four and a half, you're perfectly happy with that from your number five starter in the AL East. And then you have the additional depth we talk about with, with Hauk and maybe Andres. And, uh, look, Chris Sale, we're going to have to see how that goes. Um, I think at midseason, where they're talking about it, maybe he, maybe we see him in July. But uh, you know, they're you know, they have three more years of him under contract after this year, so they're not going to mortgage this year and sacrifice the next those three years. They want him to be at 100% full throttle those next three years. But hopefully, you do see him ease back into the rotation, uh, maybe maybe around the All Star break, if not a little bit sooner. And you mentioned Rodriguez, who battled COVID last year. Um, how have Darwinson Hernandez and Josh Taylor looked so far this spring? Yeah, they look good. Yeah. I mean, the, both those guys were really set back by COVID last year, uh, Hernandez and Taylor. And that was, um, you know, for all the talk about this team and a lot of people talked about Zale and Erod not being around, uh, uh, Hernandez and Taylor, they were counted on to be huge relievers for this team last year and not to have them. That was a, you know, a glaring hole for them. And the other guy was really right. Even when they pitched last year, they weren't in particularly good shape after the COVID and uh, I would expect, especially Hernandez, you know, I don't know about Taylor. I don't know if he was a flash in the pan two years ago, if he's really somebody who's going to be a good um, major league pitcher. But Hernandez kind of bullish on him, man. He's got overpowering stuff. And I think that um, sky's the limit for that kid if he stays healthy. Would that include becoming a starter eventually? Like, you think he'll make a start this year or? Yeah, you know, they, they talk about that um, all the time, uh, whether he's going to be a starter or a reliever. Uh, right now, they think that he fits better in the bullpen. And I think part of that is need too, because you really want to have a deep bullpen. Um, and I think that you're pretty good in the rotation right now. So at least for now, 
look for him, you know, as a reliever. He's going to pitch in the last third of games, as Alex Cora said. So he's going to be a seventh, eighth, maybe even ninth inning guy at times. So, yeah, definitely look at him as a reliever for now, but it could that could change at some point this season or down the road. Man, on the subject of bullpens, who do you see emerging as the closure between Matt Barnes, Adam Adovino, or maybe someone else like a Ryan Brazier or a hero, Soamara? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting how it plays. I look at Barnes right now as as the guy that they're probably going to go to in the ninth. Um, but look, Alex Cora is going to use the whole spring to evaluate how these guys are throwing. Um, if Adovino or uh, Sawamora, uh, Hernandez, if any of those guys look better, like they might be more equipped to pitch the ninth thing, you know, maybe they get not. But I think that uh, Barnes goes in uh, as a slight favorite. And if you have one concern about this team, maybe it is that they don't have that bona fide guy that you turn that you turn to in the ninth inning uh, to, to save the game. So we're going to have to see. Uh, you, hope, you don't want to have another situation like 2019 um, when they struggled so much in the bullpen the first half of the season until, if you remember that, your workman finally kind of settled into the role. Uh, think about the middle of the season. But you'd like to have some security um, in the ninth inning. So that, to me, is a big uh, question mark going into this year. And last question for me. I would like you to be honest here, if you don't mind. Did you have a better time on this podcast or Chris Cotillo's podcast? Oh, definitely this one. No no doubt. You know, Cotillo, he's asking all that same old tired stuff. Uh, Chris knows I like to give him a hard time. Uh, I like both podcasts, but, uh, yeah, I think that you, you were uh, you were definitely more thorough. But uh, So Chris, Chris has some work to do here. This will motivate him. I will uh, pass that on to him, or if he's listening to this, he'll, he will know. So, uh, Ian Brown, thank you very much. You can follow Ian on, on Twitter at Ian M. Brown and read his stuff at Red Sox and MLB.com. Ian, thanks again. All right, thank you. Good to talk to you.